Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm so happy that the U Stampede Rodeo will be taking place this year. Although, I have to admit, I'm not going to make it. Yeah, I, just the other day, uh, I, I decided I'm going to go visit my mom. I'm going to bring little Piper to, to meet her grandma. And this morning when I saw that press conference from the organizers of the Youth Stampede, I, as fast as I could, checked the dates for the actual event. And, oh, my gosh, it breaks my heart. I'm going to have to miss it. Because something has come up for the past number of years. In full disclosure, I'm pretty good friends with the organizers of this deal. And every year it is, Lily, you've got to make it out here. You've got to make it out here. We've got this going on and that going on. And you're going to absolutely love it. And I expect that that will be exactly uh, what you'll enjoy if you make your way out to that rodeo this year. Uh, and if you're comfortable with that, and as they described this morning, uh, plenty of precautions being taken to make sure that everyone feels not only uh, comfortable and entertained, but also safe and healthy. So uh, that's coming up. And I, I predict that either later on this week or next week we'll be speaking uh, here on this program to the organizers of that great rodeo. Uh, and uh, so anyway, more to come on that. Uh, a little bit of heartbreak, though, because my travel plans right now are going to prevent me from going. Although, you know what? This is such a big deal to me. I might, uh, I might see if I can uh, change some stuff. Delta Airlines has a very nice uh, flight change policy right now. Anyway, that is all a tangent. It's all personal stuff. You don't need to hear any of that. What you do need to hear about, though, right now is a debate which is taking place in the United States Congress, specifically uh, between uh, Senators Booker and Scott. Uh, Cory Booker uh, and Senator Scott are uh, the Democrat and the Republican tasked, essentially, uh, with coming up with uh, federal law enforcement legislation. And it's been a fascinating battle. There is much on which they agree and much on which they uh, disagree. So what I want to do here is I want to walk you through uh, some of the comments <clears throat> made by these legislators as they describe uh, their positions and what they would like to see implemented in federal law as we navigate our way through uh, this era of unrest. Those who have taken to the streets with demands to defund the police. Uh, now, it's not the clearest of messages. The demands of all of these groups throughout the country have not been crystal clear. We are seeing that lack of clarity in full display in Seattle right now, in this uh, Capitol Hill, what is it, opportunity place, uh, Occupy place anyway whatever whatever chop stands for right now i think the organizers or the loudest uh, individuals there would like you to refer to it as the capitol hill organized protest right now where they have taken over a six block portion of the city of seattle law enforcement has withdrawn and there they are uh, uh shouting uh demands which are not yet crystal clear and that's the case throughout the country. The demands are not yet crystal clear. But some, 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 some little bits of legislation or legislative items are making their way through. 
We talked in the last segment uh, with Representative Paul Ray about civilian review boards. That, to my knowledge, is not being discussed at the federal level. One item I do know is being discussed at the federal level has to do with the disclosure of police records. So if there is an officer of the law and there is a complaint made against him or her, an investigation ensues, there are findings uh, uh, made, well, those records, at least as believed by some, should be made public. In fact, uh, in the state of New York, just during that last commercial break, uh, I have learned that the state assembly there in the state of New York has passed uh, uh, a repeal of the law, which was on the books in New York, which kept secret those types of disciplinary records. What they've also done is, the first example I have seen of quote-unquote defunding the police, New York Police Department has eliminated their plain clothes anti-crime units. That impacts about 600 officers from the NYPD, and those 600 officers, at least according to the commissioner, the police commissioner, uh, says they'll be reassigned to other areas, but their plain clothes unit uh, is no more. So we're starting to see uh, some of these demands uh, actually come to fruition. Anyway, now what I want you to hear are some of the leaders in Congress right now on both sides of whatever legislative action may come at the federal level. First up, uh, this is Republican Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina. He yesterday was on NBC's Meet the Press uh, saying that he's hopeful that lawmakers on both sides uh, can come up with some police reform uh, legislation. Here's Tim Scott yesterday on Meet the Press. I think you've seen under the previous administration, under this administration, we're focusing, at least I am, on trying to find a way to get the former police officers, current police officers, and civilians to work on a commission to help us to discern what it looks like to have effective policies that lead to better outcomes in those intense split-second decisions. That's what we're achieving uh, through our commission that studies the use of force and the best practices around it. There are other aspects of it that we can be more clear on, like the chokehold. This is a a policy whose time has come and gone, and we try to tackle that on the local level. The House policy tackles that on the state level. I think the president's looking at a national uh, perspective on that from his executive order. But every single uh, aspect of all three levers want to tackle the issue of chokeholds. And that's part of that entire Mm -hmm. conversation around the de-escalation of force. One interesting thing I want you to remember from that uh, attitude expressed by Republican Senator Tim Scott is that he, and it was the first thing he mentioned, he wants uh, current and former law enforcement to be involved in shaping these policies. Now, to you and me, that probably seems like common sense. If you are going to be crafting policies, crafting federal law that impacts law enforcement across our country, we really ought to have some cops involved in that conversation, right? It's, it boggles my mind that uh, there are those who have to work so hard to make sure that that is the case, to make sure that decisions that impact law enforcement are informed by those who have dedicated their lives to law enforcement. Anything else is just lunacy. Uh, Tim Scott continued. You heard him mention chokeholds. There are other priorities uh, laid out by Democrats. And here's Tim Scott, again, Republican senator from South Carolina, responding to those uh, priorities. 
Well, on no knocks, we certainly want to understand there's no actual database on no knocks. We don't know when it's used, to whom it's used against. We don't know the race, the sex, the age. We know nothing about no knocks except for the Breonna Taylor situation that was tragic without question. Uh, so I, t I, I want to take the Breonna Taylor case and have an act that requires more data to be provided so that we can actually come out with policies that are consistent with the best use of no-knocks or the elimination of no-knocks. We just don't have the information to get there. I know that the House bill says, let's just eliminate it for drug cases, but we have no information that supports that that is the best way to go. I'm interested in having that conversation. If we get to the end of the road and we have a negotiation, that will be on the table, uh, whether it's a local or state approach on chokeholds, that will be on the table, whether there's a national registry uh, a state registry or a local department by department registry around the misconduct, that will be on the table as well. So there are approaches that are very similar and somewhat different right. at the same time. I think we're going to get to a bill that actually becomes law. Republican Senator Tim Scott describing what his party and what he may be able to support. Uh, our time has expired. I wanted you to hear from Cory Booker, but what you do know is that Senator Cory Booker is a big supporter of the Justice in Policing Act. That is the Democrat proposal which has been introduced to, to Congress addressing law enforcement at the federal level. We're going to take a break right now. When we come back, we're going to be joined by the executive director of the Utah State Fraternal Order of Police, Ian Adams, a former officer himself. We're going to talk about some of these debated items and otherwise here on Live Mike. That's ahead. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Mike, I'm Lee Lonsberry. I mentioned in the last segment that there are a number of items being debated in Congress, at the state level, even at lower levels of government. And the debate, which is carrying out, has to do specifically with police disciplinary records. No joke, about 10 minutes ago, I learned that in New York, in the state of New York, there has for years and years and years been a portion of state law which allowed for the concealment of certain records regarding the behavior of those members of law enforcement. Now, concealment, that's probably not a fair word to use uh, because <clears throat> there are good arguments to be made for why these types of records should be uh, kept out of the public's view. Why? Well, because they involve, for the most part, allegations. And those allegations contain within them oftentimes identifying information. And those allegations are then investigated by uh, like an internal affairs organization or something like that. And then ultimately there are uh, findings and decisions made and maybe uh, disciplinary or corrective action which is taken by the department against the accused. You know, should that uh, officer have, in fact, demonstrated some sort of inappropriate behavior. But the law which has been in place in New York State for some time is uh, one which protected the identity of these officers. 
you know, regardless of the outcome of the investigation, the argument is that, uh, well, you see, their identity is tied to the identity of their family members, their uh, wives, their husbands and children. And why should we then make it uh, more easy for those bad actors in some retaliatory sense to gain information which might endanger uh, uh, people, innocent individuals? Anyway, that's the debate that's playing out right now. In New York State, the Assembly has passed a measure which would undo that protection and essentially open the door for anyone to peer in and see these types of records. Joining us on the line now is Ian Adams with the Utah State Fraternal Order of Police, the executive director of the order, and a former officer himself. Mr. Adams, uh, thank you for joining us. How are you? Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Talk to me about this idea of opening these types of records. Is it a good idea? Very basically, is it a good idea or a bad idea? Well, it's a complicated idea, and it requires a lot of nuanced thinking about what kind of information we want for sort of the public good while still, uh, you know, protecting some of the factors that you hit on there. Uh, It is important to sort of distinguish, though, but, you know, we're not New York here in Utah. Uh, Might come as a surprise to some. (laughs) Thank goodness. I've heard lately, but uh, we we do do things a little bit differently. We for some time um, when when there's been officer misconduct that's been validated uh, through some sort of process uh, like at Utah Post, uh, that information has been made public. And in fact, the Salt Lake Tribune runs about four stories a year, once every quarter, on uh, which officers did have misconduct and. you know, that's sort of the outcome of those cases. So uh, we, we haven't been hiding that behind a big veil of secrecy here, mm-hmm. although there are um, some proposals being put forth now that'll that'll maybe streamline some of that process at the state level. You said, though, that the, the records that are available regarding the contact of officers here in the state come only after a negative finding is reached. Yeah, and that makes some sense when you look at the what kind of make up the the mm-hmm. types of complaints that we're talking about. So mm-hmm. most of the public concern is around uh, use of force and uh, those sorts of um, more serious misconduct. Uh, and those are um, obviously get a higher level of investigation maybe than a, what we would consider like a demeanor complaint, right? Mm-hmm. Like an officer, a complaint from an officer maybe was rude or, or used unprofessional language. So, um, yeah. When it comes to the more serious complaints, the type of stuff that gets badges taken away and decertifications uh, levied, then, then that information has been uh, made public through uh, through at the agency level and the mm-hmm. post level. Um, but again, it is complicated when there's when the when an officer is accused of misconduct. Of course, that officer is owed a measure of due process. Yet he or she has the right to answer those allegations. 100%. Uh, and at the end of that process, when when the allegation is often found to be found unfounded, when there was no such misconduct, um, then that's considered a closed investigation and generally has not been uh, public information. Are there efforts to change that? Or, 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 yes. Do, although, do you... Yeah. Now, I, I don't there ask you. I don't ask you that question. I don't ask you that question as one who believes that that policy ought to be undone. What you've described here makes total sense to me, uh, and I uh, support that 100%. But what arguments are put forth by folks who would like to see that undone? 
Um, I don't want to create straw men for people who sure. haven't even had a chance to put forth any kind of legislative language, of course. Uh, I think most people come to this with genuine goodwill. Mm-hmm. Um, at least they, they, they predict good outcomes. Um, there are some efforts that we just need to understand the problem better, right? Mm-hmm. If there is, what, what's the scope? What's the extent of officer misconduct in Utah? And, and some people who are looking at that just, just find they want some sort of centralized place to go look for that data where it could be uh, de-identified from the officer level, from the individual officer. So I, I've heard some chat around that. Uh, but again, right now, there's no language in Utah that I've seen that would specifically take this on. There's, there is some policy discussion around moving all use of force incidents that involve serious bodily injury or death to a state-level investigation. So right now, those processes um, that aren't involved in a shooting but are still serious bodily injury uh, use of force incidents are handled generally by the department um, mm-hmm. in, in both for policy uh, adherence and possible criminal uh, activities. So um, right now, uh, that's generally we'd be talking about like when it, when somebody is tased and they mm-hmm. fall, say, and, and 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 have a serious injury, who should investigate that? Right. So. Um, there is some uh, talk about moving that to a state level, perhaps at post or the AG, mm-hmm. where some determination could be made about whether that was in um, adherence in accordance with uh, post training uh, in Utah, where officers are trained. Um, again, these are early days on that kind of talk, um, but we might see some some policy movement around that. There is a, leg- uh, a special session of the Utah State Legislature coming up this week. Uh, what does the order have? What does the order have its eyes on? What are you watching for this coming uh, Thursday and Friday? You know, I've, I've, uh, I and the organization have been in uh, talks all week, all last week, all today, I'm trying to get an idea of which bills are being pushed forth. Both the Democrats and Republicans have their own. It sounds like there is going to be some movement around a statewide ban on any kind of neck restraint or mm-hmm. sometimes called a lateral vascular neck restraint, LVNR. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that is – there are very, very few places where that's even allowed in Utah. So I don't, I don't see a lot of uh, – I don't see a lot of friction on that one. I think it will be an easy lift for, for the most part. Um, and then we'd like to see, you know, the, the Utah OP has been at the forefront of uh, we do see some, some common ground from a lot of different voices on expanding the number of seats at Utah Post Council or at least the composition of those seats. Hmm. This is the body that makes policy, reviews uh, policy, and is ultimately in charge of certifying and decertifying officers in Utah. Yeah. Um, this, this seems like an obvious place to, to get some more community voices in that process, in that room. Uh, and we've talked about that with both parties and everybody, including the chiefs and the sheriff's associations as well. And everybody seems to think that that's a, a solid way forward. So we're hopeful that uh, some, some, some good progress can take place and that officers will remain protected. Uh, we're lucky to police in the state where we enjoy incredibly high community support. Again, this isn't New York or Atlanta or Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're, we're, 
I think we can make Utah policing even better than it already is. Everybody seems to be aligning on that point. Very good. Ian Adams, Utah State Fraternal Order of Police Executive Director, former officer yourself. Thank you so much for your time. Best of luck as we go into this legislative session. Uh, Let's uh, touch base again shortly. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, All right, quick break. I'm late. I apologize. But when we come back, I want to share with you the results of a Gallup poll, which has broken my heart. The question, very basically, is are you proud to be an American? You'll be surprised when I share with you the answer to that question across this country. That's ahead on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio.